here today with Jane Lee, and I have to say I am so excited because you are like the first person in this sort of space that I've had on Great Women in Fraud. So Jane works for SIFT, and why don't you give your sort of elevator speech? Uh, yeah, sure. And thanks. And hello, everyone. Um, it's an honor to be here. Um, so my name's Jane. I'm a trust and safety architect at SIFT. Um, we're a machine learning fraud prevention company working with companies like Twitter, uh, McDonald's, Uphold to, to prevent various different types of fraud, um, ranging from payment fraud, account takeovers, uh, content integrity, um, those being our main core um, and just providing our, our customers a solution. Um, a little bit about myself. Uh, so my role is to serve as sort of the um, subject matter expert when it comes to fraud. So prior to SIFT, I was at Facebook for a little over five years working on spam detection and enforcement measurement, that good stuff or bad stuff, I guess, but good things with the bad stuff. Um, and then before that, I worked at Square working on chargebacks, payment fraud. And prior to that, I was a private investigator uh, briefly, um, which is where I started my real investigator chops, I would say. Okay. Okay. So um, we're going to start with a fun word association. What do you think of when you hear the word fraud? Mm. My first thing is just bad guys, uh, but I guess it could be bad bad gals too, but just nefarious actors. Okay. And what do you think about when you hear ethics? Ooh, they don't have any. However, the interesting thing that we do see in these dark web and telegram forums that we kind of lurk in is they do have their own code of ethics amongst each other and an honor system amongst each other, which is interesting, right? But um, when it comes to traditional ethics, I would say they don't have them. <laughs> ah, I like that. Honor among thieves. Um, and in sort of pop culture, is there a TV detective you like? Oh, what was his name? I So I don't watch as many detective shows as I used to. Um, Olivia Benson, actually. Let's say oh, Olivia okay. Benson. Yeah, I was thinking also, um, I forget, Leroy Jethro, the NCIS dude. Yep. I really liked him, um, but I think Olivia Benson's just overall just a rad woman, strong female lead character. Um, I watched her through like almost all the seasons. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Um, and then sort of our little speed round is, are you a Mac or a PC? Mac. Oh, I knew it. I knew it. Um, who makes better embezzlers, men or women? Um. Men, but you kind of cringed when you said that. Uh, I did because, well, I think I say, I don't want to say better, but um, I think just recent headlines show that, uh, you know, with a Tinder swindler and, you know, with a pig butchering, I do think women are disproportionately targeted by men. Okay. Um, so, which is why I, the explanation for that. <laughs> okay. And what is the best money you have recently spent personally or professionally? Oh, I got a, uh, a, a new pair of designer shoes with my bonus. I got paid. Um, and it's a pair that I've been eyeing for, for a while. Um, so I would say shoes. 
Oh, that's so funny because I had another guest who bought a pair of shoes that she couldn't afford. And to this day, she remembers what it felt like to walk on stage with those shoes. Yeah, so. I, I haven't walked in them yet. So, uh, you know, we're, we're starting in-person conferences again, or we have started. And so um, I will walk the stage one day soon. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Oh, my God. Love it. Love it. Love it. That is so awesome. So you briefly like slid it in there. And I just have to like highlight this pig butchering. Oh, my gosh. Tell me I saw that term and you have a great graphic, which I'm going to put in the show notes. But I heard pig butchering and I went, oh, my God, what is that? Uh, yeah, so just a summary of, of what it is. So basically, pig butchering is a term that has been coined by the scammers themselves. And so it originates um, in China and it's a translation. Um, I can't remember word for word, but it loosely means um, like kill pig slaughter when you translate it. And basically what it refers to, uh, the scammers refer to their victim as pigs that they plump and plump in up and prime and prepare for eventually take out. Right. And, um, it's, it, it's a very morbid, um, term I would say. Um, do you want me to go into the details of how, yeah. what happens? Yeah, sure. So basically what these, uh, pig butchering scammers do is they create fake profiles across, uh, dating apps where they first lure their victims and they pose themselves as successful businessmen. So once they do that, they then, um, move the conversation off platform, off the dating platform onto an encrypted messaging app like WhatsApp. Um, Of course, what they're doing is they're hedging their risk and, you know, sticking to one platform allows them to be detected easier. So things like WhatsApp, Telegram are encrypted, meaning enforcement is harder. And so they really um, deploy a bunch of psychological tactics to really uh, lure their victims in. Um, and really develop these relationships. These are long-running scams. They take months to develop trust. Um, and uh, inevitably, the uh, the conversation moves to, hey, you should invest with me. Look at how much success I've had with investments. Um, you know, and they'll start by asking you for, you know, just invest a little bit. Um, and, um, and then, of course, it, it eventually, you know, they... Actually, to backtrack a little bit, the thing that's unique about this scam compared to your traditional romance scams is the technological sophistication. And so um, these bad actors have a uh, basically a trading platform, a crypto trading platform that they have created. They control everything. It basically mimics any legitimate crypto platform that, that um, you know, day-to-day people use. Um, but of course, they're manipulating the numbers and the returns and such. And so initially, it looks like, you know, you made $10 in four minutes, right? And so once you see that, they'll then say, hey, you know, maybe instead of 100, you should invest $1,000. Um, and they'll continue to up the amount. Um, and then, of course, eventually, um, well, you will never see that money. Um, and then eventually, they 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 ghost you. They leave you um, the platform that you were trading on disappears um, and you're out hundreds of thousands of dollars. So this is so interesting and timely for me. So I was driving about two weeks ago and I saw um, a car that had a Instagram sticker for a construction trade and she was a woman. So it was kind of like a cute thing. Like, And so I went to Instagram and I saw her and I saw all this stuff about how much money she's making on Bitcoin. 
And I'm like, wait, I thought you did construction work. And it's kind of unique because she's a female. And I go to her Insta feed and it's all about how much she's making on Bitcoin. And she's and and then I see this pig butchering and I'm like, oh, my God, she's going to get totally sucked in. Like I, I want to like on Insta send her your story. Yeah, I think um, so. When I hear that, I think a few things could be happening. Either maybe she did work in construction and then her account might have been hacked um, or uh, she is luring people in with this sticker and then driving them toward these types of, of scams. I think what has made crypto just fintech in general and our, our SIFT's, um, you know, recent um, trust and safety index shows that we're seeing huge spikes um, of fraud specifically within fintech. I think it was 70 percent um year over year increase in 2021 that we saw. And it's um, crypto is like the hot subject now. There's so much buzz around it. People um, hear about people making money, um, lots of money investing in crypto. And so, but I think what's lacking significantly is the crypto literacy or financial literacy around it. And so you have a bunch of people wanting to invest in this really lucrative um, or what they think will be lucrative. Um, So that definitely plays a huge piece in what makes, I think, pig butchering so successful as well. Well, and this is, again, like you were just meant to be on the show at this time because um, just this last week, Kevin Roos of the New York Times put together a great apparently like practically book for the New York times about crypto, but you talked with Kevin, didn't you? Yeah, I did. That's a big deal. I did. I, yeah, I did. And you know, he's a great guy and um, you know, had a chance to share the findings and, you know, my research with him. And um, honestly was so, you know, when I started the investigation, I didn't know what the end goal was, right? I just wanted to understand what was happening so that we could, I, I could protect people that I was, I was having conversations with. Um, but I think what's also missing when it comes to these type of types of scams is the consumer education piece. Um, so yes, there's like absolutely the, the business responsibility of, of protecting users. Um, but I think Kevin's piece really put a spotlight on how how many people have been impacted. And it's actually shocking after his material, as well as my material came out, how many people in my extended network have told me they know somebody, um, you know, that that was being kind of groomed by the, these, these scammers. Well, yeah. And, um, you know, I'm not a crypto person at all, but people know that I work in fraud and they're always asking me, so what about crypto? And I'm like, much like Kara Swisher, don't know. Um, and it, and my son actually has a friend he went to college with who all throughout college did Bitcoin and now he's a trader and he he's done crazy well. And it's been tempting to sit there and go, well, maybe, you know, I should flick him a little, but I, I, I just, I can't do it. Like, you know, I'm a stocks and bonds girl. <laughs> yeah, and you know, that's not to say crypto is not inherently you know, fraudy at all, at all, you know, and there's, um, I think there is a lot of 
awesome innovation that is, you know, has been done in the space. But, um, but again, there's the consumer literacy that needs to also be happening in tandem that I think is, is missing. And then when it comes to like pig train, you know, you have victims who afterwards feel so embarrassed that they either don't say anything or they don't have a platform to say anything. Um, you know, and so, which is why I feel so passionately about getting this, this story out. Well, and I mean, you know, you said you used to be a private investigator and when you started your career, crypto wasn't even a thing, was it? No. And you're young. (laughs) It it wasn't. Well, I think crypto really started taking off in like 2014, maybe 2015. Yeah. So this is I was a PI before that. Um, And then before that boring stuff, like I worked at a law firm, I I thought I wanted to go to law school, but um, Oh, we saved another one from going to law school. <laughs> yeah. So actually, it's interesting how I I kind of came to where I am today. I graduated thinking I wanted to go to law school. And then, um, you know, fresh out of college, my first job was at a law firm. Um, new grads in the U.S. aren't working legal cases, right? And so um, I somehow ended up supporting um, the attorneys in my practice. I started supporting... Um, figuring out who owed who what money. It was a construction defect practice. And so there were contractors, subcontractors, different people had retainers and all this. And so they basically said, Jane, I need you to figure out how, who owes who, how much and who owes us how much. Um, and so, uh, you know, it required a, bit, a lot of document digging and uh, research. And so that's that was actually my start of investigating uh, investigation work. Um, and then from there, I, I joined a small PI firm um, using that investigative experience. And then um, after that, you know, with Square doing billing investigations or payment investigation, that kind of made sense after that. And the, the progression um, just kind of happened naturally from there. Have you read the new book, Under Money by Jay Newman? I haven't. No, I haven't. Yet. Ooh, you got to pick it up. Okay, I will. I will write this down. Yeah, and I'll put a, I'll put a link in the show notes when the oh, show awesome. comes out. Okay. But um, yeah, Under Money by Jay Newman. I think you might find it really, really fascinating. Okay. Um, so I like what you also said about it starts small. Like most people can easily afford a hundred bucks. Like you know, that's is hit money as we call it. You know, you can do it, and it's like, well, you know, what's a hundred? But and you have this in your articles just about the psychological, uh, you know, twisting and manipulation. They are really, really good at it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think these are actually I I was actually on a panel with um, someone with a Ph.D. in, lingu- in linguistics that specifically studied romance scams and the effective effectiveness of language when it comes to manipulation. And so. Um, you know, and I hadn't thought about it in this way first, but really when these scammers start off, when they, um, you know, the victims are looking for love, they're on dating apps, you know, it's such a natural human desire to, you know, to feel loved and give love. And so, um, so they're already susceptible to that. Right. And so what these scammers do is they um, start off by love bombing. And they'll overwhelm their their victims with compliments and promises of gifts. It's what everyone wants to hear, you know, and whoever tells you they don't like hearing that stuff is lying. Um, And so that's how they first um, 
you know, build that trust by, by the love bombing. And then, um, and then it becomes, um, manipulative eventually, right. Where, um, you know, the one that I was baiting along, I asked, Hey, you know, can we, maybe we can grab a drink. You can teach me about crypto over drinks. And of course, there's a reason why, um, they weren't able to meet. Um, and then another part of the, the con is them, um, trying to drive urgency with their victims too, right? And so always telling me, hey, I made $10,000 today. What'd you do? You missed out or you're not fast enough or um, you're, you're so, you know, sarcastically saying you're so smart, um, you know? And so all of that, what that does to a victim is, um, hey, here's this person that I'm already developing feelings for. Um, and then that call to action, that urgency that they're trying to create. And so it's... Um, kind of just a perfect storm that brews um and and causes people to to give in or to to go with it i guess yeah Uh, so i just was listening to your podcast with daniel pink and i did not realize that he was a linguistics major oh okay and um you know he's written so many great books and he has the newest one the power of regret which i'm reading but then to tie it to romance scams, but then also behavioral science. And everyone on the podcast knows that I'm a huge behavioral science geek. Oh, awesome. I love behavioral science too. So, okay. Yeah. Tell me some of your favorite people. Oh, well, I don't know. His, he has a complicated. Um, so I'm reading The Body Keeps the Score. Um, yeah, that's, that's what I'm reading. Um, that's a really good one. Um there's a book called attached. I'm really bad at remembering the names, but it's, it basically talks about the science of love. You know, it's about attachment theory and different attachment styles, but um, highlights how love bombing is, is um, like kind of how that mechanism works between um, the person that's doing the love bombing as well as the person that's receiving it. Um, and it really creates a cycle of like, you know, intense emotions and, and such. So that's another really good one to read. Well, that's so interesting because I was talking to a friend of mine who is on dating apps, even though I'm like, please come on, you know, don't do that <laughs> because I'm so paranoid. But she's talked about being love bombed twice. And I was like, and she's very good with words. So I just thought that was like her version of it. And then I read your article about pig butchering and love bombing because, you know, for 28 years I was married. I didn't, my husband did not love bombing at the beginning. Let me tell you. <laughs> but I kind of thought it was her thing, but it's a real thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I, I've, um, I've done plenty of work like myself uh, with therapy and, and such. And I, you know, I think, when it comes to non-scammers, right? Love bombing. Um, I actually was talking to a, a love coach actually not too long ago, but, uh, you know, just, um, for work purposes, but, um, <laughs> but, but, uh, you know, we were talking love bombing when it comes to two people, like not a scammer, but two people actually pursuing a relationship. It's both sides wanting to hear something that, validate something that they feel like they're missing, right? Or they're trying to give something that, that they're missing. And so you're you're basically giving into something that's not built on any substance, right? And so this happens with a lot of new relationships, right? You don't actually know the person. Um, you know, are they the love of your life? You can't tell, right? It, those things take time. Things take, really take time. And I think, you know, with the 
the dating apps, especially, I think COVID, we didn't talk about COVID or the pandemic yet, which is still very much a thing, but um, the other, I think, piece very crucial to the success of the scam is us coming out of lockdowns, right? People are thirsty. They're hungry for human attention, human connection. And I, I, I think um, because of that, people have also forgotten how to kind of behave. <laughs> so um, so I think that's the, the third um, piece we haven't yet talked about that contributes to, to the success of this. Yeah, it's like you drive on the road now and you're like, did these people not know how to drive before? Oh, it's wild out there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it is. It's kind of scary. And just the idea of being in person again, it's it's awkward. And I personally think it's kind of exhausting. It is. It is. I, I'm, I'm in my home right now and I'm happy about it. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but yeah, we have been going on com- to conferences um, again. And it is it, it's weird. You have to kind of relearn, um, relearn what it means to live amongst people in real life. (laughs) Well, and in your articles, which I said, will be in the show notes. You had like people would use excuses about like, well, I can't see you because I haven't been boosted yet. Or, you know, I have, they could use COVID as an excuse to not meet. Yeah. I think that was uh, one of the excuses that uh, I think it was a victim that mentioned that was uh, the reason she was given for me, um, my scammer boyfriend told me that they were they had to go on a business trip. And then after their business trip, they had another one. They had to see family. Um, my pseudo relationship only lasted for, I think, three months. I, you know, I, I really pushed up, dragged it along for about three months. But um, yeah, a, a number of reasons. But yeah, they, they did definitely use COVID as an excuse um, for some victims. Um, as to why they weren't able to meet in real life. I recall in the articles that I read that there were, it was always um, male perpetrators. Have you run into female perpetrators doing this for men? Um, I have not run into them, but I do know there are um, scammers that are posing as, as women um, that are targeting men. Uh, Obviously for me, I, I, used my face and a pseudonym, uh, you know, when I was going in and creating these accounts. And so, um, you know, the way that dating apps are set up, you specify, you know, what you are, what you're interested in. And so I, I was targeted by the male scammers or the male posing scammers. Um, but I actually, in my friend of friend network have heard of a, um, someone's cousin that I know, who um, is a man and was actually scammed and, uh, you know, by a female profile. Okay. I'm going to make a really terrible joke here. Kevin Bacon's, you know, bacon pig, two degrees of separation for that scam. (laughs) (laughs) That's a really bad one for pig butchering. (laughs) We've, we've called, we've described myself as the sacrificial, uh, sacrificial bacon. So um, I'm right there with you. (laughs) Okay. Hashtag fraud humor. (laughs) We work in a dark space. I feel like the humor is, is necessary. It's important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. So have you heard of osmosis? The conference osmosis? I haven't. No. You need to go. I'll send you the information. It'll okay. Be- I'm writing all these down. But- this is it's the open source intelligence like the conference to go to. Okay. Um, you would be awesome. Okay. And oh. so I'm gonna hook you up with Cynthia. Um, but uh <laughs> what does your family think of what you do for work? Uh, you know, to be honest, I don't know if my 
parents fully understand what I do. Um, and so actually funny thing, the, the Tyla article that came out, um, there's a picture of my face next to the Tinder swindler's face. Um, and I sent it to my parents. Um, and my mom responds and says, that guy looks like a fraudster. Oh my gosh. And I was like, yeah, he is. He is. Right. <laughs> and, and for some reason, I don't know, it didn't register. And then I talked to her on the phone and she was talking, she again brought up like, oh my goodness, like you, she's my mom. She's like, you looked really good in that picture, but the guy next to you like looks so bad. Um, and I told her he's an actual fraudster. He, he's actually famous right now because of these cons that he pulled. And she had no idea. And she was like, oh my goodness are you safe? Are you okay? Is it okay? Like, is it okay that your picture is next to his? Um, so I think they have an idea. I don't think they know how the depth of which I do my work, but, um, I think it's better that way. (laughs) I was like, that was my parents when I was a special agent. Like I would say, Oh, I did so-and-so today. And the exact same thing. Are you safe? Yeah. And I have to say, I don't think they ever asked if my brother was safe and he certainly was not doing what I was doing. He was on the other side of it, but like never worried about, never asked him if he was safe. So I don't know that's neither here nor there, but um, what do you say about anyone in the audience? Great women in fraud, great dudes, frauds, how to get started in this industry. And I know from your LinkedIn profile, you've been very helpful in mentoring of other people. Um. Yeah, thank you. And I, I feel like if anyone's interested in getting in the, into the industry, I mean, I work within tech specifically, right? And, um, you know, I got started. How, how did I get started? You know, there's plenty of jobs within risk and, and trust and safety. Um, oftentimes, you start off as a generalist, and then you become really good at a you know, a particular type uh, of fraud um, and really just network with, with folks, go to conferences. Um, the trust and safety fraud community is very small. Um, and so, you know, I, I say this to new grads all the time where don't be afraid to use your LinkedIn connections. You know, there's um, that is better than no sort of in for both sides, right? So even for me as somebody, if, if, Hey, we're somehow connected through, you know, a second degree of Kevin Bacon connection or whatever, at least that's, you know, that's, um, that's better. And even if you don't have, have, um, any, any connections in your network that, that you can reach out to, um, I would say the community uh, or the industry is small enough and people are willing enough to, um, to kind of like lend a hand to, to new people. So, um, yeah, just really roll up your sleeves and, and, um, make yourself vulnerable and ask, ask for help is my one piece of advice. You know, what's interesting is the whole trust and safety. And this is, I'm aging or dating myself at least like seven or eight years ago, I was offered a trust and safety position and the pay was horrific. And I kind of thought that they were, I mean, it's risk that they were lessening the category of it by calling it trust and safety. But Mm -hmm. I was the one who I think was wrong because I didn't see us in this trust world, like Airbnb, Uber, all that sort of stuff. And so I don't know who coined trust and safety, but initially I thought it was 
literally to keep them as a step above customer service, but not investigators. Yeah, that's actually a really interesting point. Um, And I think even in my experience, trust and safety is a more recent, I think, um, terminology that's being used. And the reason my opinion is when you think about risk, we think about risk management, meaning loss prevention, right? So how do you minimize the loss? But what we're seeing, the trust and the safety means also building that um, kind of sentiment. It's not just loss prevention or monetary, you know, um, loss prevention. It's about um, making sure that your platform is a trustworthy place for your user base, right? And that's really a differentiator, I think, when it comes to like customer experience. That's one thing we really emphasize at SIF too. Um, really um, giving your giving good experiences to legitimate users and then, you know, making sure that, hey, yes, meanwhile, you can also um, keep your financial losses at a minimum as well. And so it's the it's it tells you that I think the industry is moving more to a balance, balanced approach rather than let's just cut it all off. Let's just minimize as much as possible. Yeah. So you talked earlier about digital slash financial literacy. Now, who should do it? The public sector or the private sector or both? Who's best qualified to do it? Public, you mean government entities versus private? Oh, I think the private sector has the technology to do it. um, As well as probably more bandwidth and the resources to do it. Um, because when it comes to like public affairs, there's a number of things probably that that um, take priority over, you know, fraud, unfortunately. Um, so I think the private sector has done a really good job at, um, you know, when we when we talk about the tech that they have, right, we what I, I would say the most tech advanced um, industries are doing right now is they're applying machine learning. Why? Because the bad actors, I talked about how they are technologically sophisticated. You know, they're building platforms. They have the the computer scientists, the engineers, they have them to operate their platforms. So um, it only makes sense for us to match that energy and, and leverage the technology as well. Um, however, I do think uh, public... There's a public responsibility, I think, to educate people. So, yes, the private sector can do as much as they can within their user base. Right. But um, what about people outside of that user base that can also be impacted? Um, So there's the educational piece that um, I don't see the public sector doing which is again why i think just word of mouth and doing campaigns like this are are super important to get that that information out well what's interesting is you said this you referred to it the the crooks are playing the long game they're not in it for the quick hundred dollar hit they're in it for like the woman who lost her life savings three hundred thousand dollars and like i'd work for a year for 300 grand like you know i just they're playing the long game yeah. And uh, I and there's so much shame when you do get ripped off. Mm-hmm. I mean, money is replaceable, but trust and shame and all that sort of stuff is just I can't imagine going to my kids and saying, yeah, you know, I did this and I'm relatively young yet, you know, 
getting up there that people are going to like you question yourself. And it is so incredibly embarrassing. Um, and it makes me think of like AARP. Like, I am, you get a join when I think you're 55. Like, I don't know if I've seen AARP in this, but I, you know, I get the free magazine. Um, it would be a great, I don't know if I've seen pig butchering in it. I think that might be a big graphic for them. <laughs> and here's the thing, you know, talking about different, who is susceptible to, I'm not just talking about pig butchering. I think there are different types of scams that are successful with different demographics, right? And so, um, you know, I, I always talk about the younger generation. They're susceptible to fraud because so much of their lives are just digital. So you don't think twice about entering your credit card information. You just, your whole entire life is online. Um, and so it becomes easier for fraud to kind of just um, slip in for that. And then um, you, have, you say you have the more older generation. So like my dad, for example, does not, um, he does not use any sort of apps on his phone because he has all these um, these worries about security and, and, and such. Um, but for the older generation, like my dad and older, um, you know, you have things like ARP scams or um, a lot of um, call center scams where people pose to be representatives from um, their bank institutions and, and such. So um, we, we're seeing different MOs work better with certain certain demographics because of um, just what they've been exposed to. Well, and then this goes to um, what I say is if you're working in a business and you embezzle, you're seeing your victim every single day every single day. And that's a whole mental thing. Like, you know, it's going to mess with both sides a lot, but when you have this distance of being, you know, on an app and you don't know where they truly really are, um, they could be around the corner or they could be 12,000 miles away or 20,000 miles away. Um, it's easier for them. Don't you think? I think it's, it's a bit more impersonal, which probably, um, helps them sleep better at night. I would say, yeah, um, I think that type of behavior or that um, logic, is, it could be said about everything digital, right? Like I, maybe I'm outing myself here, but um, it I can easily make an online purchase. I don't even think about it. But, you know, if I if I spend cash in person, it feels a lot more real because I'm giving I'm handing someone um, cash. And so I think in that vein, it's um, we're seeing a, a similar thing, I think, I can't put myself in the heads of the the fraudsters, but I, I would imagine it becomes easier for them to, you know, see their victims as just a target. Who knows where? Another number, another victim. Yeah. So wrapping up, um, the Tinder swindler you've obviously watched. Mm -hmm. <laughs> is there anything else like going on that you're watching right now that you think is tied to some of this fraud and pop culture? Yes, I binged watched, and it's actually very short. Um, Bad Vegan. Oh yeah, I binge watched it last night and it's only four. It's a quick docu-series on Netflix, but I only saw four. Or I watched all four episodes yesterday and um, it, it, it has similar themes to the Tinder swindler to pig butchering. Um, yeah. So that, that's, that was, is the most recent thing I, I've been invested in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to watch Super Pumped Uber. Oh my God, it's oh. it is crazy. What what like, platform is that one on? It's on Showtime. Okay. Yeah, it's on Showtime, and you got to watch it just because you're in the 
I, you're in San Francisco tech world. Um, I think you'd really like it. So, I, I oh, sorry. Yeah, it's oh, no. media is actually really, if you look at all the top shows that are happening right now, there's the one about the Theranos founder. It's all about these scams and the people, you know, how these scams develop. There's um, Inventing Anna is another one that I binge watched on a flight um, from a, over from a conference. And um, it seems like the public is very interested or fascinated by by scams right now. And so, uh, yeah, there's a lot of good good media out there right now. I teach a course on fraud and pop culture. And honestly, like I, it could be eight hours right now. And that's just like recent fraud and pop culture. So it's kind of crazy. Well, Jane, I want to have you back. I hope to meet you at osmosis. Yes. Um, this was wonderful. And the next time that um, you guys are out there having your bacon and eggs, you're going to think of <laughs> I'm saying that for my daughter, the vegetarian. <laughs> Thank you again, Jane. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Wasn't that an amazing episode? I am so glad to have been able to talk with Jane. Her work is not only important, but so incredibly interesting. She really did a great job with describing how easily these scams are done. I have new books to add to my list from her, and she added some of my suggestions to her list. That is what Great Women in Fraud is all about, helping raise each of us and our profession. I took a quick trip and was able to listen to some new podcasts. I just finished Ron Friedman's book, Decoding Greatness, and I can't recommend it highly enough. I think I heard about him on a Dory Clark presentation. See you next week. Read a book, listen to a podcast, and thank you again.